Company NFL insider, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, joins us now. All right, back here on a Tuesday. Miles Simmons coming up in just a couple minutes. JVT is here. It's Cofield. Did you bet the U.S. Open? No, not yet. I've been kind of up to my eyeballs and NBA coverage, writing, podcasting, and then um, doing a little bit more in baseball and getting ready for, I don't think I can spoil it yet, so I'll say a new project at VC. Oh, really? Yeah. Exciting times. Yes. That the, will take the place of the Hardwood Handicapper show on Sunday. Oh, okay. I was going to say the football offseason is the time when we all come up with new ideas. I'll just we'll say, see, if, see, if, see if we can deliver on any of them. I'll we just, make lots of pitches. Hey, this is what we're going to do in the fall. Is it going to be basketball related? Uh, no. Okay. I will say that By it's, the way, Damon, I just emailed you contacts you needed. Um, I will say that it is, to your point, let's just say that football never has an offseason. Ooh. So you are going to go with football. I never said that, Steve. I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about or not. I know that at all times there's a sniper trained on my location. And if I reveal anything that I'm not supposed to, DraftKings might take me down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So it would be VSIN that would take me down. You could get in some trouble? <laughs> no, I, don't, I just, I, I, we're going to have a football show on Sundays and I'm going to host <laughs> it for two hours. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I was asked to submit names for it. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't. Hardest, I, hardest part of the biz. Well, but see, here's the thing, though, because I like goofy, dumb names with like alliterations. Um, I got shot down on pigskin pontifications. It's a long word. I like it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> pontification, but yeah. So nobody really liked it that much. Have you nailed one yet? Don't uh, reveal no. it. No, no. You're I still haven't. working. No, I mean, I sent in one, and I'm like, this is the this is the depth of my creativity. So yeah, it's on you guys. I'm gonna go with. I'm willing to bet it's like the football show with JVT. Oh, come on. Really? There's not that much creativity behind the scenes of VSIN. So we got Football Insider Mal Simmons coming up here in just a couple minutes. Um, one of the things I want to jump on with him, because we never really got into it. We were just talking about Phil Mickelson last hour about, you know, judging Phil and just be honest, you know, just be honest. And I thought we had another one of those cases last week. And I want to run this by Miles. I thought Jack Del Rio getting fined $100,000 was one of the dumbest things I've seen. Yeah. I agree. It, it just it goes back to the, the original thing, which is, like, why apologize? Why fine him when he clearly believes in what he believes in? He's made these comments or similar comments like this in the past before. You can't really force a guy to change his stripes, to change the way or the views that he has. I guess they're political views now. But I just don't understand like this whole thing. It just seems like, to be honest, it seems like some sort of grandstanding to a certain extent when you're going and finding him and forcing him to apologize and deleting the Twitter account. You already said it. Just say you believe what you believe and mm -hmm. move on. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's on the side of people storming our capital and insurrection. Right. right. You know? Dust up. Yes. He wants what is, you know, is fair. And in the end, I mean, the, the, the finding him $100,000, and I love how they were like, Ron Rivera did it. Really, Ron, the head coach find. The defense coordinator, one hundred thousand dollars. Right. No, the organization did. Dan Snyder did. Right. And Dan Snyder is a creep of a human being. So how dare he find anyone? He sounds like an upstanding gentleman. Look, he find him. Miles Simmons is with us. Miles, how you doing, buddy? 
I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're good. We were just talking about Jack Del Rio, and I just thought the fine last week is stupid. It doesn't do anything. I don't believe that. <laughs> you know, it's Ron Rivera fining him. It's Dan Snyder, which is also gross because Dan Snyder is a you know less than stellar dude. So what what do you think of the whole thing? And where does Del Rio go from here? Because the real world has Jack Del Rio having to coach people who may look at him as someone they don't want to play for. I mean, there's a lot to this, I feel like. And th- you start with the fact that, like, this dude is a coach for the Washington Commanders who represent Washington, D.C. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, I was on uh, PFT Live on Monday, and I said this. Like, how are you going to say this as the Commanders' defensive coordinator, as somebody who, like, legitimately lives in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, you're going to say that it was a dust-up? Like, take all of this stuff with the racist undertones out of it, like what he was saying about, you know, when George Floyd was killed and all these different things. Like, just, just take all that out, right? Like, just the simple fact that you are so objectively wrong about something that happened so close to where you are and to the city that you represent, like, that to me is ridiculous. So I tend to think that the Rivera statement that he put out there where he announced that he was fining uh, Jack Del Rio $100,000, I thought that that statement was very, very strong. Right. And it seemed like it seemed like it was more of a precursor to something that was going to be beyond like, oh, yeah, it's just a $100,000 fine. I mean, $100,000 is something that people are going to feel regardless. But, like, Jack Del Rio has been a head coach twice. He's one of the highest-paid defensive coordinators, I believe, in the entire National Football League. $100,000 is not going to put him out too much, you know? But, like, it's still, like I said, the, the, the statement to me was way stronger than what the punishment was. And I think you're right about the fact that, like, look, he became a distraction. We'll see what happens if there are any more repercussions from this in terms of players and their feelings. And it doesn't necessarily seem like that's going to be the case right now, but we are about to get into the real NFL offseason where there's six weeks of, like, not nothing's really happening on the field, right? Right. So there could be some changes that happen in that period if Jack Del Rio decides, you know what, I don't really like the fact that they censored me, you know, and, like, it, I don't get really to – I don't get to just say what I want anymore, and I deleted my Twitter, and it's this and it's that. Yeah, the money is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, if you're really because the way Del Rio put it, he's like, "Let's have a conversation." You know what, Jack? Let's have a conversation. Why don't we have the commanders bring in multiple law enforcement departments that were involved in battling the insurrection? Why don't you talk to those folks and find out what the experience was like? And that, like, to me, yeah. that that's real world. You know, let's let's have a discussion and let's educate and maybe. Maybe you'll have law enforcement in front of you that, you know, experience the insurrection and go, you know what, it was a dust-up. I don't think he'll say that afterwards, but maybe he will. Maybe. I mean, he could also just watch the hearing last week where Officer Edwards said she was slipping in people's blood. I, I understand that, but you know how some people are. They're so freaking dug in on a stance that maybe they need to have someone face-to-face go, listen, Jack, these are the stories. It was terrible, Okay. We were scared. Our lives were at risk. It was awful. And maybe he'll still he'll still say, yeah, dust up. Maybe. But, I mean, it's less about, for him, I, my impression is, it's less about that and more like, well, you, and I'm just going to say it this way. Yeah. So, you know, whatever it is. But it's more like, 
hey, you had a bunch of white people who were doing these things at the Capitol, and you got really mad. Well, why aren't you getting mad at the black people who were destroying property? Like, that's what it, that's what it is to me. And, like, that's a ridiculous false equivalent. So... Paul Simmons with us, Pro Football Talk. He's our NFL insider. Uh, some stories on the field. John, you sent this one over. Wait, what? what has changed now? John, explain it to us and explain it to Miles. What has changed now about the Panthers and Baker Mayfield? Well, yeah, it seems, Miles, there is a, a rumor out there, Jonathan Jones tweeting out that as many camps begin today for the Browns and Panthers, trade talks between the teams continue surrounding Baker Mayfield. Main issue remains Mayfield's salary and how much or how little teams pay I mean, we're kind of in the same boat we were, what, a month ago, two months ago, whatever it is. You know, what, like yeah. Steve said, what has changed here? If, if the Panthers wanted him, would they not have acquired him at this point? That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, if the Panthers really wanted him and they didn't think it was some sort of horrible situation where it's like, oh, gosh, I mean, we have Sam Darnold and we got Corral and it's like, oh, God, like our coach might get fired if things don't go very well for us early on in the season. I guess Baker Mayfield's our best option. If they really believed that Baker Mayfield could help them win a lot of games, then they would have gotten him during the draft. And this whole thing of, well, what are we going to pay in this salary? Like, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't just say the Browns should pay a bunch of Baker Mayfield's salary, even though he's going to be starting games for us. Like, yeah, obviously they're going to have to pay some of it because they need to get rid of him. They want to get rid of him. But – you also are in a situation where you're probably going to want to start Baker Mayfield for 16 games. Excuse me, 17 games. I just hit the Wayback Machine just mm-hmm. two years ago. So if that's the case, then pay for it. Right? You're the, you guys are the fools that went out and traded for Sam Darnold last year and decided that you were just going to extend his fifth-year option. So you're already paying a, a quarterback who you really don't want because you know he's no good. Baker Mayfield can at least come in there and he can be a steady presence for you. He'll help you win games. Sam Darnold's not going to help you win games. Matt Corral might be ready to help you win games in a year from now, maybe two years. I don't know. I don't know who the head coach is going to be either. But that's not today. So the whole thing of, oh, well, we kind of want to get this done so Baker Mayfield can be here for minicamp and he can start one. Well, then you should have had him during the draft so you could have gotten him there for phase two and phase three of the offseason program. The whole thing doesn't really make any sense. And I like if, if the Panthers are going to say, you know, oh, well, we want to do this so that he can get here. So they, you should have done it a month ago. And granted, now you understand probably a little more about Sam Darnold and McAdoo's offense or Corral, where he is or may or may get to and all that. But, like, you knew what the situation was. So go out and just do it. Yeah, you kind of answered my question, which was going to be, is there any chance during OTAs they went in with some positivity and then afterwards they were like, holy crap. This is, this is <laughs> we got to do something here. Yeah, but like, why didn't you know that? I mean, like, I'm, what are we, we've had four years of Sam Darnold, and like, I had our little foil about this a few weeks ago. And because he was like, well, do we know that Sam Darnold is bad? Like, yes, <laughs> I know that he was playing for Adam Gates. I know that he basically had no real shot last year without Christian McCaffrey. In Carolina, but also like, look at what the they went out and they signed Cam Newton. I mean, I know he got hurt, but like, and then he they let he came back and Cam Newton was still on the field, and it was this weird amalgamation of like, what is the quarterback thing? Like, no, I know some of it's the Panthers' fault too, but like, we have enough evidence 
to know that Sam Darnold is not a very good NFL quarterback. I think he could go and maybe he's a backup somewhere and, you know, maybe he gets on a run like Nick Foles and wins the Super Bowl for somebody. I doubt it. But, like, there is plenty of evidence to know that Baker Mayfield is a better NFL quarterback than Sam Darnold. So, that it's, again, I don't, I don't understand what the strategy is here. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, NFL Insider here on Cofield and Company. Cooper Cup signs an extension. You know, it's up there with Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. He deserves it. Once again, though, we step back and we're like, do the Rams have a salary cap? Yes, they do. Uh, and it's why they had to release one of their linebackers, Trayvon Howard, last week. And Howard was the guy who caught uh, the game ceiling interception at the end of the NFC Championship game. And his salary was at a level of something like $2.5 million, $3.5 million, whatever it happened to be. But it got prohibitive for them because of, A, the way that the Rams kind of play their linebackers and kind of don't play their linebackers. But, B, when you're re-signing Cooper Cup like that and giving him a raise, you got to take some salary away from somewhere. So, as it turns out, they then are going to re-sign Traven Howard. I saw that he's today, as I was traveling, he's either going to re-sign or they have re-signed him. He's going to come back to the Rams, so they're still going to be fine with that. But, like, they still, they, they've done some really good things creatively in making sure that they can get the players that they need. But, I mean, when you're talking about those mid-tier folks that come off their first contract, you're not seeing them re-sign with Los Angeles, right? I mean, Sebastian Joseph Day, he goes on and he's playing for the Chargers now. Um, the cornerback, Darius Williams, he's going on, he's playing for the Chargers. Last year it was John Johnson, he goes on, he signs with the Browns. And these are really good players that they've drafted and developed, but they're not like those top-tier elite core guys like your Jalen Ramsey, your Aaron Donald, your Cup, and also Matthew Stafford. Right? Like Those guys are the four pillars that you have on offense and defense, and you have to be able to fill in around them. So, yes, they do still play with the salary cap, but like they have the elite guys and they understand how they have to build the team around those elite players and structure the salaries so that, like, yeah, you can pay those dudes a lot, but you're not going to be able to pay your mid-tier guys like you, you might like to. I saw a dude at Pro Football Focus say, hot take, the Raiders paid like 60% of what the Rams paid oh, to this dude fair. for the same player. Is Hunter Renfro the same player as Cooper Cup? Having covered both of them, no. What? Uh, but, like, that doesn't mean that, Hunter Renfro's bad. I think Hunter Renfro's good. I, I think he had a great season last year. I think he can take off even further playing in a system with Josh McDaniels as his head coach, right? I mean, think about what McDaniels was calling for Wes Welker, you know, at the height of what they were doing um, with the Patriots in, you know, the early 2000s. And then you also have what he was doing with Julian Edelman. Oh, so there are examples out there of what somebody can be in that offense. Now, Again, Hunter Renfro's great, but like Cooper Cup had one of the best seasons for a wide receiver in entire league history. Right? I mean, he had 145 catches. And I, I don't know if he got over 2,000 yards or nearly 2,000 yards receiving. Then he went into the postseason and had one of the best postseasons anybody's ever had. So I, that's not something that we've seen Hunter Renfro do. And I, I think that anytime you're going to talk about, like, oh, well, the Rams just did this, and then another team did this. Like, you got to really think about what it is that the players are. And right now, I'm not really trusting anything pro football focus has to say because they put Cliff Kingsbury as, like, the fourth best head coach in the league, and that's ludicrous. All right, well, 
in defense, it was a model that put Cliff Kingsbury as the fourth overall best. I don't care who it is or what it is. If it's the model and, like, you guys are all represented by the same three letters, it's uh, it's suspect. So uh, I wanted to ask you this, as Steve has his Raiders polo on. One of the things that I was joking about last week, um, so we got the comments from Derek Carr. We played him on the show, or excuse me, from Devontae Adams on Derek Carr. And was talking about, you know, transitioning from playing for Aaron Rodgers, playing with Derek Carr, uh, their skill sets and the similarities. And I told Steve, as a joke, I was like, just watch. Headline's going to be Derek, uh, Devontae Adams says Derek Carr is just as good as Aaron Rodgers. And that's nearly exactly what happened over the course yeah. of the two days that followed. And so I think Smiles, like, I think it's really fascinating conversation because we have athletes like Draymond Green coming out and saying media misrepresents us. This is all they do. And this is a perfect example of that. If you have, as I put it, half a brain and listen to what Devontae Adams was saying, it's clear to, it's clear what he's actually saying there, but we can't do that in today's day and age. And Adams comments get misrepresented. Now some people think Derek or excuse me, Devontae Adams thinks Derek Carr is just as good as Aaron Rodgers. Right. And I, so I was watching that press conference and, you know, I am always really struck by Devontae Adams thoughtfulness when he is doing pressers. Now, like he's one of my favorites to watch around the league. And I would watch his press conferences all the time with green Bay because he's not just going to give you a canned answer. And I think, the way that those comments were portrayed in some ways were like that canned thing where, I mean, if you, it's almost like what he said, and you look at what Tyreek Hill said about Patrick Mahomes and Tua Tungavailoa, right? What Tyreek Hill was doing was being intentionally like, I'm going to do something here, you know, especially with calling your podcast, it needed to be said, like it needed to be said that Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Whereas Devontae Adams, like, basically said like 500 to 800 words on why you can sort of make that comparison. But he started out by saying like, yo, like that's like comparing me to Jerry Rice. You know, I I'm chasing that. And that's what he said. That Derek Carr is chasing, still trying to be one of those all time greats. It's his goal, but he knows he's not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. And then he starts talking about the skill sets. And he said that, you know, Derek Carr is going to really fire it in there and Aaron Rodgers is going to be a little different in that, and he flicks his wrist. So there was a lot of nuance in what Devontae Adams said, but then, yeah, it gets boiled down to, like, five, six words that you can put on a cute little Instagram graphic and try to make that, you know, get as much engagement as possible. But like, that's not really what Devontae Adams said. And so, you know, at CFT, I wrote the post, and I, I made the headline more like, hey, the comparison is like you're saying he's a Hall of Famer, and that's not right. That's the apples to oranges thing. And so, yeah, it's, it is interesting when you get people talking about, like, hey, well, this is us being inaccurately portrayed. Like, that's, that, that is definitely one example. Well, question for you. Did you do your job? Really? Should you be, you know, just going with the ISO, yeah, the ISO clickbait? Because I'm looking at your headline right now with the comparing Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers is like comparing me to Jerry Rice. So like that's not what most people ran with, but it, you know, because I, I brought it up the other day. Like it started, it starts as high as first take because Stephen A is like, you are, you know, with Tyreek, he's like, you are insane. I can't believe you're comparing to him. Like, dude. Read the quote. He didn't say he's better than him. But then I start to think to myself, hey, Stephen A's making $10 million a year. Maybe we all need to do this. Screw it. <laughs> now, 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 the other part of that is uh, Stephen A doesn't have to really face the players. So when you go out and you cover oh. teams and, you know, someone can come up to you, a player can come up to you and go, dude, I didn't say that. Why'd you write that? Yes, exactly. But that, and that is a difference. Yeah. I think you're right. But the other part of it was I, I 
I've seen the quote like sort of start to go viral. So my approach to it, if people really care about this inside baseball thing, was try to make this headline a little bit different so that, you know, if you've seen like, oh, he's just this is Aaron Art, he's that like Aaron Art, then you're seeing this and it's like, well, wait a minute. How's that different? So then that might induce somebody to click on it that might not otherwise. What's getting more clicks? Headline. Devontae Adams gives nuanced answer on transitioning <laughs> to playing for Derek Carr right. as opposed to Aaron Rodgers. Right. Or Devontae Adams thinks Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr are the same quarterback. Of course. Yeah, they, of well, course. exactly. But like, that's why I put Jerry Rice in there. At least yeah. you're getting Hall of Famers. And I, I agree with you with your earlier comment that uh, Devontae Adams is awesome. He's he's really good in press conferences. Like yeah. he really cares to give you a good answer, and I can certainly respect that. So that's that's going to be the last guy that you just freaking pull out, you know, two percent of a quote and try to sort of screw over just for clicks. Right, exactly. And I I think that when players are thoughtful and don't just give you canned answers because it is so easy to do it. And you know, when you are covering a team and you're covering seventeen games, sometimes you start asking canned questions too. Because, like, you know, it could be whatever it is. I got something else going on, and, yeah, I know I need to write a story, and I got to file something. So, like, hey, man, like, what's this, you know? And then, like, you might, this is one of the great things about having open locker room and having it back is that you can sometimes just do that, you know? You yep. get guys you lean on in the locker room, and it's like, hey, I, I need something. And then you just have a little conversation, and that's how you get something. And so when Devontae Adams is that thoughtful and he's that thoughtful in a press conference setting, not just, you know, your one-on-one, like that's something that I think should be commended by the people who do what I do or what we do. You know? We appreciate you taking time today because I know you were traveling. You're back in Cleveland? I am. I am here for like, the rest of the month. I got Ooh. some other travel things that I'm doing from that's easier to do based out of here. So, yeah. Uh, are there places when you go back to Cleveland, back home, that you're like, I have to go to to get a drink or eat, like a favorite place? Yes, okay. yes. Uh, there's this place called Dante in Tremont, and they do, you know, which Tremont probably doesn't mean anything to anybody in Las Vegas, but they do a really good, like, five-course meal with wine pairings and everything mm. like that. I've never had a bad time there. Also, uh, Mabel's Barbecue, which there is a location for there that is. in yep. Las Vegas. Yep. Michael, yeah, Michael, Michael Simon. Simon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They, uh, Fantastic. I think they reopened it. Yeah, it was shuttered because the Palms was closed for so long, but I was glad to hear they're going to reopen it. Yeah, it's a really good place. So, yeah, we were we were doing a poll question today about places around Las Vegas that have closed over the years because Vegas, we were building all the time. So, like, it's just stuff changes every, it seems like, every 20 years. So, they just knocked right. down an old club. And I'm not saying I used to go there, but, but I went there a couple times, called The Drink, which is sort of behind the MGM. F1 bought the property for $240 million. So it's one of those places what? that was, you know, kind of, I know. Um, F1 wants a permanent home just east of the Strip off of their course. You know, they're, gonna, they're coming here next year. So they bought this for $240 million, and they were knocking the place down the last couple of days. So we were talking about, you know, even in Vegas, which is very young, we have all this turnover, and there's a bunch of places that were here 20, you know, 40 years ago that are bye-bye now. So we shed a tear for it. Uh, better hope it's F1 that's really taken care of instead of Ferrari, because otherwise it'll just, like, they'll start the project, and then it'll only get, like, a little bit done, and then we'll have to stop it. Well, they're pretty rich if they buy a piece of property for 240 and they just go, you know, it's not worth our time. That was an F1 joke. I guess we, you know, we don't want... No. Yeah, I, I know. I get it. I, 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 I get okay. it. I get it. I think I got All it, right. sort of. I watched the show. I sort of got it. Maybe I dropped off the show. I got to watch the show again. All right. My bad. My bad on the Ferrari humor. My friend, have a good time. I suppose we're going to be talking to you in future weeks from Cleveland, okay? Yes.
I'll talk to you next week, guys. Take care. Good deal. That one went right over my head, huh? I didn't get the F1 joke. Eh, it happens. All right, football frenzy's coming up. We got more on the uh, Raiders offseason here. It's been yeah a little bit quiet, but Adam Hill's going to join us after 5.30. And again, we'll talk some Raiders and VGK. The Golden Knights have hired a coach. Bar- not Barry Trotz. Nope, not Barry Trotz. Bruce Cassidy, who got fired by the Bruins, is now running the Golden Knights. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Cofield and Company, halfway point of the show. Thanks to Mal Simmons for popping in from Cleveland. John Von Tobel, Cofield, DeMond running the show. So news came across today. If you follow Raider Nation Radio, you follow Q, our buddy, our boss, doing a show right now from 2 to 5, new time over on Raider Nation uh, 920. In that order, by the way, buddy and boss. Okay. Okay. We can do rankings. on. We'll have a long discussion about it. Um, the NFL has a new pizza partnership. You'll remember in the past, it was with uh, PJs, with Schnatz, and then he went off the deep end. And then we found out just a couple weeks ago, according to uh, John Schnatter, um, he and Jerry Jones were in collaboration around the Kaepernick time. Remember all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Right? You're killing us. You're killing our profits. Um, Not the bad pizza. You know, we had heard that Jerry Jones had put him up to it, but Schnatz says the goal was to actually get Goodell fired. So I don't think Papa John's going to be in the inner circle with the NFL for a while. Uh, Pizza Hut was with him. I don't know what happened there. Now it's Little Caesars, which I see a lot of people complaining about. First of all, how many national chains are there, like true national chains, that the NFL could hook up with? And I guess what would the answer be? Don't hook up with any national chains. Well, if the money's there, they're going to do it. Little Caesars is fine. I don't know why people, like, we know what all the chain pizza places are. They're not your local place. All right. Okay? Cheap option. You grub down on it, we're good to go. Right. I think. Yay, Little Caesars. The C word. Nothing bad to say. The C word is the one, is the key one. People just feel like, oh, it's cheap. Like, like you wouldn't go and smash down on a hot and ready. You know what I mean? Oh, have I? No, like just the person who criticizes Little Caesars. How many, how many national chains? I was going to look up a whole list and go through. I don't, we don't have time today, but like how many national chains are there for real where there's, you know, where they're, they're in like 30 plus states with, Hundreds or thousands of locations. Four, right? There can't be that many. I think there's four. The Dom, the Hut, right? The John. I mean, I think those are the main ones. And the Seas, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I would. God, well, I'm blanking on on his name. You were when you were working behind the scenes here at Lotus. Oh yeah. Who was who was our? He was another producer. He was from Boston. Court, court. Oh, court. Yeah, court. court was, yeah. Sweared by. Swore. Sweared. Swore by. <laughs> The pizza at, and it is national, 7-Eleven. Really? Now, that would be if if you could, ooh, Can I, if you could, it, maybe we might have to do a poll question. That could be, because we did some pizza yesterday. We might have to do a poll question late in the week. Should 7-Eleven get the national pizza deal with the NFL over Little Caesars? Can I say? I've never had it. Neither have I. And I don't, I really don't have, I mean, I, I have pizza taste, but I'm also an animal, and I will almost yeah, I'll eat almost anything if I if I have to eat. Okay, I got a lot of things that are just coming to my brain right now. A couple of things to add. Okay, here. how about Please this? Take a time out. Fat pack's coming up. 
A lot of thoughts coming to John's head. It's always a challenge on the show. Three minutes from now, will John remember anything he was thinking? It may be the offseason, but our Las Vegas Raiders have to keep up their workouts in order to burn calories they need to eat. Enter the BFB challenge, and it was five six-ounce patties, bacon, ghost pepper cheese, carnitas pork, crispy onions, and fries. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> Jonathan Ankins, Andre James, and Colton Miller, Kendall Vickers, and Jalen Richard all took part in this. Proceeds from this event actually benefited just one project, which inspires people to give back by helping the disadvantaged children and families in our community. Pretty cool. Raiders eat off. Massive burgers stacked up. That was cool. Very cool. Jonathan Hankins working with a local charity, John. So neat stuff there. Uh, if you wanted to check it out, it's the Just One Project. You. <laughs> I joked before we went to break about you having some thoughts. Yes. And I was like, let's see during the break. We had a break for a little longer. If you remember what your thoughts were on national pizza chains, now the Little Caesars is the NFL pizza in place of PJs and Pizza Hut recently. All right, lots of thoughts. First okay. off, um, thoughts on the 7-Eleven pizza. I will say it looks extremely appetizing, and I'm very pro Go-Go Taquito, even though I don't know if they call the Go-Go Taquitos anymore. So I would think that from a taste perspective, it sounds like it's pretty good. Also, in terms of national pizza chains, can it be specific? I.e., can it be Costco pizza, the official pizza of the National Ooh, Football League? Wow, that's creative. Yes. I. You know what? That's interesting. That's real interesting. Because we're looking up big national chains. Marco's Pizza is pretty big, like a 1,000 locations. I mean, you got if you're going to sign someone up, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Little Caesars. I think 7-Eleven is a good entry. And now we've had multiple producers at this place over the years say, it's a bargain. So I don't know what's going to happen with Little Caesars long term. I'm I'm bought into Little Caesars a little more. Uh, one of the reasons is a goofy show that's come on. I and I this is one of my favorite guys on food television, uh, Adam Richman, who used to be Man versus Food. Right? He's got a new show out. I think it's on the History Channel. Adam eats the '80s, and he goes back and tries old items. And he went to. Do I have the right? I might not even have the right series. Anyway. Watch that one. But there was, I have to think of the show. One of the one of the food hosts went to the Little Caesars corporate office in Detroit, and they showed the process, and I was like, okay, there's actually, like, a method to their madness. Like, mm-hmm. they're actually trying to make pizzas. They get a bad rap, you know? Yeah. I think, well, this, here's the thing, though. This Watching actually, too many shows, I can't remember anymore. Is it actually, like, is it recreated? Like, I would assume. Oh, the Adam's Eat the 80s yeah. is actually recreated stuff, uh, um... Or the origins of like it's not like someone's like, take on it, is it? It's like the actual recreated food item. Some are recreated because some were some were available, and then went bye bye. Yeah. So coming up, Sam Paniatovich will get his picks for the NBA Finals and also what's going on in the NHL with the Stanley Cup Finals. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, let's get into it. Get some angles for the NBA and NHL. I'll also find out a little more about Bruce Cassidy. Sam Paniatovich from Nesson is here with us. Sam, how you doing, buddy? That didn't take long for Cassidy to get poached by somebody else, huh? You know what's funny is it seems like a long time for us here in Vegas because DeBoer went bye-bye like five weeks ago. But clearly Cassidy must have gone to the top of the list. Or maybe, you know what, maybe the VGK management, that's who they're waiting for. Maybe they'd heard whispers 
you know, in the, you know, in the last couple of weeks that he was going to go, and they were just waiting for him. So what what do you think of Cassidy? Did he get screwed over in Boston? I don't think he got screwed over. I mean, that's just the hierarchy of sports. You know, the GM usually stays longer than the coach does, and that's the way it's going to be. You know, it happened in Chicago. Remember, I covered that team that won three Stanley Cups, and Joel Quenville gets the ax before Stan Bowman. Was it the right call? In hindsight, no. Uh, at the time, I didn't think it was the right call. It, you know, I don't know the semantics of the Bruins front office and how that works, but I can tell you that the first person on the chopping block is usually the head coach, but in no way was Boston's lack of success in the postseason the last couple of years on Bruce Cassidy. And, and Steve, look at his record, 245, 108, and 46 behind the bench in Boston. And last year they were crippled with injuries down the stretch. This year, more of the same. You know, they had a bunch of guys that were hurt that didn't play on in the postseason. And then they also, let's not forget this, like Brad Marchand just had hit, uh, surgery on both hips. You know, like these guys were playing hobbled and hurt, and that's that's in no way, shape, or form on the head coach. If anything, the problem with the Boston Bruins this postseason was the lack of depth, and that's not on the head coach. Champagne out of it for this. All right, let's. I want to get to some different hockey angles in a couple of minutes, but let's talk about what's most fresh, and that was what happened last night to the Celtics. So, give us your read on what the Celtics did late third quarter. In the fourth, I mean, they just went through a game where Steph wasn't good, they defended him well, and they freaking lost the game. I'll tell you what, this is the craziest stat of the NBA Finals. Luke Cornett, who plays for the Boston Celtics, look it up, Luke Cornett. He has more points in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter than Jason Tatum does in this series. That's an issue. Jason Tatum, the superstar for the Boston Celtics, in five games, last five minutes of the fourth quarter, has three points. That's a problem. And, you know, the NBA championship, when we get to the finals, this is about closing time and making buckets down the stretch and making them count. And for as good as Jason Tatum has been in a lot of, in a lot of games and in a lot of ways, it's been the erratic play, turning the ball over. He has the most turnovers for any player in the history of one NBA postseason, and he has just disappeared in the fourth quarter. Now, that doesn't mean... They can't win game number six and win game number seven. But through this point, he has been the opposite of clutch in the fourth quarter, and it's just been really sloppy, careless basketball. The Celtics are a very good team. I I would argue they're deeper than the Golden State Warriors. They have a better defense for sure. But the lack of shot making and the turnovers are just killing this team right now. So, Sam, I thought yesterday was kind of cool from a, from a betting and trends perspective because we, we know about all these trends, right? Celtics on the road, Celtics coming off of a loss, Warriors in the third quarter. And it seems like all of those trends uh, were snapped yesterday, specifically that Warriors third quarter where the Celtics finally show up. And we know that it's a hot betting item every single day, too. <laughs> David Purdom had the tweet of the day yesterday. It was like 83 times the amount of tickets on Golden State third quarter than Boston third quarter and like 120 times the money. And I was so happy to see that finally lose because it was like my mailman drops off the mail. He's like, oh, I kind of like the Warriors third quarter. And I'm like, wow, you do? You know, everybody and every tout and content creator and everybody in the space is just gushing over, well, what's funny to me, JBT, a third quarter trend that's a pre-flop bet. (laughs) Those bets, like you have no idea what the game script is going to be. And that's why I always laugh when I hear, oh, well, the Warriors' third quarter is the best bet of all time. And it's like, well, what happens if Golden State's up 30 at the half? 
Yep. You know, like every, everything is its own sample size. Every every bet is a different opportunity when you're talking about a third quarter bet before the game. So yeah, I had to laugh. I saw Purdom's tweet. I think that was a uh, report from Caesars. Like eighty three times the amount of tickets on Golden State third quarter over Boston third quarter, and lo and behold, it did not come through for the high, for the uh, for the players. Well, by the way, I think you'll enjoy this too, Sam. If you looked at, I think it was DraftKings. Uh, last night, they hung Will Stead, like I think it was either alternate line in terms of three-pointers made or it might have just been an actual prop, but minus 10,000 that Steph Curry would have hit at least one three last night. Oh, yeah, and I guarantee you there was somebody that laid you know 10,000 to win a dollar. Like th- This has happened. There was somebody the other day, I don't know if it was game three or game four, bet $660 to win $4 that Draymond Green would not have a triple-double. Okay. And I, I get it. Like, he's probably not going to, and he didn't post a triple-double in that game. But why are you risking $660 to win four? That's asinine. Got an edge? You got to take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, walk us through what you think the finals MVP market looks like, because I think there's a, there's a really long conversation to be had about, you know, the Tatum and Brown dynamic. I think there's a dude at a thousand to one that's got actually a really good statistical shot at getting this thing in terms of Finals MVP for the Boston Celtics. But what do you think? Oh, okay. Well, I don't know who's behind your door, so I, I can't wait for this. I've been very adamant. I, I think the award has been shrinking by the game, and you know we had a conversation at work today before we went on the air about well, should we bet Andrew Wiggins at twenty to one? And I said no. Like the fact that Steph Curry's minus three fifty, minus four hundred tells me. At this point in the game, he's winning the award even in losing fashion. Like, that's what the math tells you. It's it's telling you there's like a 75% chance that he wins the award. Now, look, if Jason Tatum scores 40 points in Game 6 and 30 in Game 7, yeah, he's probably going to win the award, but I I would bet against that happening, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have Curry at minus 350, some books have minus 400. We're talking about maybe the second player since Jerry West or the second player, including Jerry West, back in 69 when the Lakers lost to the Celtics, to win the award on the losing team. Um, I mean, Steph, I mean, it's obvious. Steph is the best player on the court. Um, so I'm very curious now. Like, you're not going to say Robert Williams, are you? Of course I am. Oh, you are? Okay. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, I agree with you on how important he is, but the voters aren't going to vote. That, and, and that's the problem. Now, the, the reason why at 1,000 to 1, when there's other markets hanging them at 250 to 1, I think that is, you know, like, what are we talking about here? Half of a two for 22 over at Chili's, you know what I mean? Um, But when you look at, you talk about the numbers and the math through five games, Celtics outscoring the Warriors by 31 points when he's on the floor. They're getting outscored by 42 points when he's off the floor. If we're talking about value, there's no better indication of value than that. And to back up your argument, if he's not on the floor in this series, like he missed a whole lot of games against Milwaukee, if he's not healthy for this series, well, I guess healthy is a relative term because nobody's healthy at this point, but if he didn't put in the time that he already has in this series, Boston Celtics would already be at home. Like, they're not in this series without Robert Williams. So, I, yeah, I, I think he's been arguably their best player. You know, I have a wager on Marcus Smart, 80-1, to 1, and that's not going to win. Uh, but, I mean, it, you know, the, the books, without admitting, the numbers tell the story. The fact that Curry's minus 360, like, that tells you exactly – what the books are pretty much laying out there, that they don't want to write any more bets on Steph Curry. So you run him out, you move him to 350, 375, 4 to 1, 
you got Tatum on the second line, Brown on the third, Wiggins on the fourth. But, I mean, really, JBT, it comes down to who are the voters going to vote for. And, and as valuable as Robert Williams has been, and as awesome he is, the Time Lord, at protecting the paint and protecting the rim, he's not sexy enough for the voters to, to put his name on the ballot if the Celtics win. And, and that's a damn shame because he's been better than almost every Boston Celtic in this series. Sam Penyanovich on Cofield and Company. All right, what are we doing with the Stanley Cup Final? I'm betting on Andre Vasilevsky to win the Conn Smythe. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, this is the best goaltender we've seen. Um, and by we, I mean people that, are, that have been fading the Colorado Avalanche, like me, in the last series. Like, Colorado has had a very easy trek through this postseason. Remember, Bennington got hurt uh, when the Avs were playing the Blues. The Oilers have absolutely nobody in that. It might as well be Adam Hill in that instead of Mike Smith. It was a train wreck in that. And now they get a future Hall of Famer who has won back-to-back Stanley Cups with a defense that really tends to figure you out over the course of a series. And then let's not forget Braden Point, a top-15 player in the NHL, likely coming back for Tampa Bay game number one. The Lightning are getting stronger and healthier. The Avs are hobbled without Kadri, without Cogliano. they got some other guys that are banged up right now. I think the Lightning are live at plus 150, but why bet plus 150, plus 155, when I can take the goaltender at 455 to 1? You know, Stephen JVT, if the Avalanche lose, it's because the Lightning keep pucks out of the net. So let's go right to the source. Andre Vasilevsky to win the Conn Smythe at 5 to 1. If they win, I, I would go as far as to say he's almost a lock. If the Lightning win the Cup, I would say Vasilevsky's almost a lock to win the Conn Smythe. Sammy P, Chicken Dinner Podcast. Uh, let's close on this. Was there some uh, wackiness? God, we're seeing more of this stuff with uh, weird bets that are being made and pitched to people. Was there some kind of wackiness with a, a shutout parlay or something going on? Yeah, really stupid stuff. I'll make ah. it quick. So one sports book that will not be named was offering a three-leg same-game parlay. The Lightning pitch a shutout, the Lightning win the first period, and the Lightning score like over one-and-a-half goals. They were dealing that parlay at 7-1. to one. Well, on that very same app, a Lightning shutout was 10-1. to one. <laughs> Oh, my so God. Why, why are you betting the shutout parlay, which you need two other things that go right and then get like 7-1, to one, 750, why don't you just bet the shutout at 10-1? to 1? These books think you're stupid, people. Sam, how crazy is Boston going to be for Game 6 in the NBA Finals? Oh, it'll be up for grabs, man. I'm not going to the game. People are asking, oh, are you going to go to the game? No, I'm not spending $1,000 to sit in the <laughs> nosebleeds, but I will watch it down the street at the bar. I was out for Game 3. It was a madhouse. If they force Game 7 on a Thursday night, I might not make next uh, next episode uh, on Coalfield and Company. What's the bar scene like? What's what do people get more fired up for, the Celtics or the Bruins? Bruins have a drunker crowd. Oh, really? The Celtics bring more fans. Yeah. All right. No fights, right? You're not getting in a fight, right? Oh, those days are over, buddy. I got an image to hold up now. I got an image. You're a TV guy. I know. You got to stay out of trouble now. There's cameras everywhere. Uh- yeah, my agent says, hey, we need you looking pretty for the next 25 years. And don't, I said, relax. Don't get busted up. Don't get busted up. All right, Sam, I know you're slammed. I appreciate you carving out some time for us today. Thank you. All right, always a pleasure. See you. At SP Shoot up on Twitter.
All right, 5 o'clock hours coming up. We'll get into some uh, Raiders news, and we'll break down the hire of Bruce Cassidy by the Golden Knights. Um, on this show, I don't know that we should be doing any chubbo shaming, but I feel like I'm going to get roped into something here. Uh, a pitcher came back yesterday. My God, dude, you got to get on the treadmill.